And so that's something else to consider, especially as you're growing your SaaS platforms, the user base, as well as your infrastructure, is like, do you really need that data? And that data that you have, will it expire? It should all have an expiration date. And then if you have to have it, then use a way to anonymize it. That way it's not your liability. This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action with host Armand Schrocki. Each week, Armin will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of SaaS Scale. I'm pleased to have Atif Gari here as my guest. He's the Senior Vice President at Ciders. Atif, welcome to the show. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. I've been sitting here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and it's Super Bowl time here these days against Kansas City. So based out of Philadelphia, I've been here for most of my career. Very happy to be here. Very excited to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about the company? Of course, I know you have been in this field for many years. What do you guys do? And essentially, from your experience and the solution that you guys provide, what is the best problems that you are solving? And a little bit about the kind of the sweetest spot that you go after and what kind of organizations you help most. If you know it relates to SaaS companies in one way or the other, we would be glad to hear that as well. So Cyber Defense Response is the name of the company. Acronym is Cyderis. Just very quickly, we used to be, just a name change happened six months ago. We were formerly called the Herjavec Group. And if you know the word Herjavec, you probably remember Shark Tank. Yes, the guy from Shark Tank, Robert Herjavec, started the company back in 2003, so close to 20 years ago. And then we've been going through rounds of growth. And part of that was we had a major acquisition last year and renamed, rebranded to Cyber Defense Response. Cyderis. So for the company, I've been with the company for almost 10 years, for the most part, different types of C-level roles with the company, helping build it from the ground up, taking it from a Canadian company to the US and Europe, and then helping with customer success, with sales, indirect sales, product management. At one point, I was a COO as well. So multiple different roles as part of the senior team at Cyderis. The focus of it, of course, is managed security services, especially for SaaS providers, having a 24 by 7 coverage. Whereas the provider can focus on their business and we'll focus on your security. I like to say the brain's on site with you, the muscle off site with us, with our 800 person organization, eight different socks around the world, protecting environments, whether it's a SaaS cloud-based deployment or whether it's a on-prem deployment. So that's the core mission of what we do. It's protecting our company's infrastructure. Of course, talking about cloud security, I do remember days that people thought cloud is not going to go mainstream at any point soon because security is going to be the big deal and nobody wants to put their data in the cloud. 
nowadays, actually, it's proven that you can put your data in the cloud to be more secure. It's on the contrary, when you lock your servers in a room and you feel like my servers are secure, doesn't mean your data is secure. Can you tell us a little bit about the stages of cloud security, the phases you have seen that we have gone through and where we are today from your perspective? Now, I'm glad you brought that up because if you look back at cloud as to what you said, it really breaks some of the fundamental laws, which is it's fast, it's cheap, and scalable. It has all three factors. Normally, you can either have it fast, but it's not cheap, or cheap, but not fast, et cetera. But cloud gives you all of that. And I think, obviously, organizations have exploded into the cloud, whether it's incrementally or whether it's all-in cloud native. And so with that, the security perimeter has adjusted accordingly. So we started off, you know, in the, from a big picture perspective, protecting cloud the way we did on-premise. And now, today, in 2023, it's actually a whole different game where we're baking security within the containers, within the virtual machines, within the workloads, right? And so that shift of security is really just following the attackers, right? And the different types of attacks, different types of attackers that are trying to get in. And so with that, it's the heightened awareness now around cloud security and using technologies and premises that are just advanced today's modern computing environment. And when it comes to, for example, some of the new developments that we have seen in the cloud, especially during the last six years, that from my perspective is a new age for the cloud and not just hosting the infrastructure, but providing a lot of services that essentially acts like an operating system rather than just acting as just a hosting company, provide you power and provide you connection and these kind of things and hardware and server. Is it now different from your perspective that the services are part of the equation as well and you, the security now is more comprehensive? And how do you see the new age moving forward with all of these microservices and serverless and the new age of cloud? What is the impact that you see based on those new technologies? Is it getting more sophisticated, getting trickier, getting better, getting worse, getting easier to have the right securities? And the solid security, for example, for the services that everyone, SaaS companies provide. So, and I'll break this down for you. The headline here is that it's off the new architecture, especially in the cloud, is going to offer a new vision of light to cybersecurity. So, let me explain. So, traditionally speaking, cybersecurity, whether it's on prem or even hybrid, was the I have a castle, I'm going to put a moat across the castle, my firewalls. And then I'm going to try to protect. And then when people come in, I'll have another line of defense, defense in depth, a more infrastructure based, right? Whereas the applications where all the good stuff is will typically not intake any of the security controls. I mean, if you fought hard, long and hard, you had good relationships from CISOs, the business units that are developing applications, maybe you'll get authentication and authorization. Maybe you'll get some level of logs. That was the old world. Now the new world, back to the light of hope, in the new world now, we have software as a code. So the way we could bake in security as part of the, the deployment of that virtual container that only lives for an hour, and then we flash it again, and now it has a new update that is security vulnerability. And guess what? No human did it, right? It is infrastructure as a code. It's, it's software as code. And where this is really important, that gets me most excited, back to the ray of light, is that we're losing the game as cybersecurity professionals. When we talk about breaches, we talk about, yep, they got in, they took this, they came into this method, and here's the impact, right? We should be talking about, oh, they tried to get in, but they didn't. 
And it's interesting they use this new evasive technique. That's interesting. But again, they never got in, right? Because when computers, when code is fighting the bad guys versus people fighting the bad guys, our speed goes faster, right? And so that's what I'm really excited about is that when it's machine versus machine or machine versus attacker, we're going to win and we're going to win faster. So it's not about they got in, they took something, they got in and be detected and the machine self-healed in order to protect quarantine, honeypot, et cetera, to protect the environment. So that's really exciting for our cybersecurity professionals as we build the future of secure computing in the cloud. Of course, nowadays, AI is a big topic, especially talking about all of these news that nowadays you hear with regard to the AI and artificial intelligence that can be as smart answering your question that it's hard to say if there's a person on the other side or actually machine is talking about this topic and being like a super expert in this topic. Now, how do you see that when you're talking about machine and doing the kind of security threats and everything coming to the future? Also, the machine learning techniques are improving and everything. It can be a real problem because if you are facing with some machines on the other side and they are improving, then is it a new era that we are going to experience based on what you see and based on experience that you have that we might have a different kind of security on both sides, the ones that want to hack and the ones that want to defend that leverage those new technologies more increasingly in the future? Yes, and we cannot have a conversation about AI in 2023 without bringing out chat GPT, right? And so just especially for the listeners, as we as a cybersecurity company, six stocks globally, hundreds of analysts, of course, some of our analysts try to use ChatGPT to try to detect, analyze, assess, not quite there yet. So what ChatGPT doesn't quite know yet is the reasoning behind, okay, well, this type of malware was detected, it's in the environment, but that detection was dated. So we had analysts that have tried to use it and we thought we had a big breakthrough. Well, we could just automate our incident response. Not quite there yet. But with that said, we often overestimate what we could accomplish in the short term, our short term goals, but we underestimate what we accomplish with our long term goals. So if we play the long game here, things like ChatGPT and the next version of ChatGPT are really going to transform the way we do security analysis. And you know, just from low hanging fruit, which we've already seen over the past three years, where an alert that would come out of, a, let's say, a SIM, a security incident event management system, or an endpoint detection response system that would come to an analyst, that is today is highly enriched. Like we're applying threat intelligence. You know, we're using some level of, of machine learning to be able to apply threat intelligence onto it. You still need the human today. Right? You know, as a, as a global SOC, you know, one of the largest managed service providers in the world, I'll tell you that. ChatGPT is not there yet, but it can be there. I think it's just a matter of time as the learning continues to happen over more and more data points, which in the future will be there. So I'm pretty excited about that. And to your point here, back to your question around how are all these threats going to be mitigated? I just continue to see, especially in the SOC, I've been in managed services for over a decade. The level of that tier one, the proverbial tier one, tier two, tier three, just the bar keeps raising. Right. So the tier one does less of the mundane stuff and more of the high value stuff. But at the same time, the threats are increasing and they're getting more sophisticated. So we need that analyst to be supported by a technology, a tech enabled an analyst that can help continue to fight to that bigger point that we brought up with autonomic security, being able to where machines fight machines. We're not there yet. There's all sorts of 
thought leaders that are talking about how we're going to get to atomic computing. And so it's years away, if not, you know, shorter. And then talking about technology, of course, and algorithms is one thing, but also it comes with some operations. So in any kind of security situation, we have some operations, we have people, also we have technologies, algorithms, other things. So from your perspective, how do you see the balance between these? What are the risk factors? Probably you have good perspective on that. Most of the time, we, meaning people who, like me, don't know security very well, and it's not our expertise, we may feel like the risk factors are in this area, but really the reality is that the risk factors mostly are in a totally different part that we may not even think about it. What is that kind of those high risk parts? Is it mostly operation? Is it mostly people? Is it mostly the technology side? How do you see? Well, particularly in the cloud environment, misconfiguration is enemy number one. I mean, we could make a case for all of the people and the technology too, but it's the processes really of the misconfigurations or the, hey, we're just going to do it for this one beta test for a small subset, and then it turns into something else. Or, oh yeah, we're going to make this AWS bucket for public just for an hour. Oh, by the way, it has XYZ, we didn't know. So human error and misconfiguration is probably the most prevalent threat uh, when it comes to cloud environment, for especially for SaaS providers to know. And then across the board, I mean, with hybrid environments, on-prem environment, the technology is not being optimized. So fun fact for any technologist that's listening that has bought any technology, as you know, uh, most users only use about 20 to 30% of the features of the technology itself and versus like all the things that you think you're buying, but you're really never going to use. So as a managed security service provider, that's the area that we really specialize in is that's all we do, right? So getting experts and specialists that know cybersecurity to help get the most out of the technology you have and optimize. It's not, the answer isn't always, okay, let me buy another tool. It's just using additional features of your own tool. And that's, you know, talking to chief information security officers, which is one thing I do regularly. One of the biggest challenges they have, they have all this technology, security technology sprawl, like maybe 15 different vendors, 30 different dependent, depending on the size of that enterprise technology but they don't all talk together. And so having that integration is probably the biggest challenge for an enterprise customer today is integrating across technologies instead of like swivel chair and pivot to another council and swivel chair and pivot to another council. Meanwhile, that guy's out the door with the confidential data. So to summarize that point, I think it's the security operations. It's just like any other operations that you could think about within a business context and or a tech concept. It comes down to the fundamentals, your hygiene, your configuration, misconfiguration capabilities, your diligence around the fundamentals. That's sadly where we still struggle with today. And you know why I'm, uh, the ray of light is that machine-based, machines versus machines, programmatic, security as code will really help us with those fundamental hygiene components. Just like the way Alexa tells me my weather every day, it's pretty programmatic, right? You just say one thing and it happens every time, right? And then... I'm going to change gears a little bit and ask you about, from your perspective, you have been in different companies. You have been also in kind of managing partners on firms and the history that you have. So when it comes to really looking at the SaaS ecosystem that we have and the cloud, the way it is, I don't know when would be the technology that comes in and say, I'm going to replace cloud. You know, it would be at one point. I haven't, yes, we don't know about it. But the same way that 
you know, we lived, I lived at least in the day that it was PC came in and then I want to replace, you know, mainframe and then Windows came and said, I want to replace, for example, MS-DOS and then later on internet came in and web came in and then later on AWS and others came in and said, we want to, you know, replace this world. There will be sometimes, some days that we will see the next generation, whether it is coming, but at least for now, living in this SaaS world, living in this companies starting, if I'm a SaaS company, if I'm a new company starting today compared to IP startup, a software startup company starting 10 years ago, how do you see the security part of it is different and how a new founder starting tomorrow morning should think about security that probably needed, didn't need to think that way 10 years ago. What kind of bad mistakes or common mistakes people can make when they start these kind of new companies and new SaaS companies and not knowing enough about the security and the way they should pay attention to and educate themselves and treat their business? Any advice on that part? Yes, and the disruption is a reality. So as you mentioned earlier, with the how things have transcended over the past several decades, Disruption is warranted. It's coming. It always comes. And particularly to your question around a new CEO launching a company, launching an organization, the SaaS being built from the bottom up, you know, what two things I would tell you. First thing is while you may not have the funding for security, while you, you clearly, I mean, you're, especially early stages, you're trying to just prove out viability of the solution, of the product and the offering. However, it helps you, and this is something that I've been telling with to many of my clients that are in this type of situation, it helps you to think about and have those considerations baked in. Whereas, let's say you're a healthcare app that is defining a new platform for some area within medicine to help with the patient data. So maybe you're not fully protecting patient data with enclaves and XYZ controls as defined by high trust, but at least talk about the architecture that you would use to that, because that builds investor confidence. That, okay, these guys are actually thinking about security. They're baking security in. Sure, they don't have the prototype built today yet with all those layers in, but that's something that's part of their architecture, right? So that's something that you should absolutely consider. Number one is around at least architecting for security and communicating that to your potential investors and stakeholders and customers that, I mean, we all get it. You're new. You're not going to have all the funding, but at least you have that in mind. The second thing is actually more forward thinking for more mature SaaS providers. What we're seeing now is that it's gone are the days of, okay, you have authentication and you use a strong password. Great. You use multi-factor authentication. Awesome, right? Like that's the almost table stake. The new generation of attacks are coming from your permission once you get into your SaaS. So what are your quote-unquote entitlements within the application? And then as a customer, I have multiple software as a service platform. And so I want to know my entitlements, not just sign on, which Okta helps solve great, right? But also what are the entitlements in? And where I struggle as a security professional working with large companies as well as growing companies is being able to tie in the entitlement because then the developers of that platform, they haven't created an API or a framework to do that systematically for their customers. But customers are going to want that. So the point number two is think about how you could allow integration for security entitlements. Well, I call fine-grained access control. There's coarse-grained access control gets you in. Fine-grained access controls, what do you do once you're in? And that will really help enable you with, especially large customers that have multiple SaaS solutions, 
to be able to control their security permissions across multiple applications. Because the reality is, pretty soon, it's going to follow your disrupting trends. There's not going to be much on-prem software being developed. Most organizations are going to be using Salesforce and Microsoft Office 365, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But even those big platforms don't have an elegant way to be able to control those permissions within the app platform itself. So if that's something if you could do as part of your architecture or part of your design, I think that puts you a step ahead because now, you know, I talked earlier about, you know, they may have 30 technologies that they're using their environment. They can say, well, this XYZ company makes it easier for me and it's stickier for me. And I think the, the others are going to follow this idea as well. And it'll help us secure the future really of the coarse grain, the fine grain access controls that are allowed in, a, in an application. And when you say, for example, SaaS companies that are more mature, of course, I don't think there is a particular formula, for example, we cannot say more mature, meaning over 50 people, for example, employees or something. But from your perspective, there is a point that the SaaS company needs to think more seriously about security. And that's the kind of turning point for them to come back and say, now we need to think more about security and more seriously about it. Where is that point as you have experience with different companies? And when do they think more seriously to come in and just say, this is now we want to go to different level when it comes to security? Is it something dictated normally by customers of them? Is it something that it comes with some revenue number, number of people they have, the size of the company? How do you see it based on what you experience? My experience is two factors. First is the number of users that you're supporting. So is it, if you're tens of thousands, okay. But if you're hundreds of thousands and millions of users, then your fiduciary responsibility as well drastically changes. That's one metric. Other metric is around the amount of money you're raising. So the, that's another factor that, okay, you're a unicorn, 1 billion valuation, but you don't have multi-factor authentication. Like, really? So there's a level of risk then associated to that investment during the due diligence process. You may not pass uh, because you don't have and even the preliminary levels of cloud security controls. The Cloud Security Alliance, CSA, is one of the gold standards for security controls and how to define security controls. So that's one area that you could look into as well. And But you got to have the fundamental components to even raise money. I would look at the number of users and I would look at the type of investment that you're getting in. I mean, who, what type of investor is going to put money into a platform that has potential security concerns, especially in 2023, when we know one or two, one, definitely two attacks on your environment and you're flat-footed and without a response or without much mitigating controls, there goes your business. It, it's over just like that. And some people say, well... I don't have any confidential data. And, you know, I don't have, well, you have a system, you have availability. Availability is part of the CIA triangle. Availability is security too. You may have cash registers that you can't use. That's a big factor. I think that's probably one of the biggest changes, I would say, in the past, say, five years, is that the, the prominence of availability being an important security consideration, especially given how ransomware is just the, the number one type of attack these days. So the availability factor is a, is a big factor too. And the other thing is it's not instant. It's not like if you make a decision that I wanted to really bring that security, it will happen overnight. So there's a delay, there is a time between the time that the decision is being made that we are going to that direction. Even if you secure the budget and resources on people's side, everything is still, there is a timeline to get there. And that timeline will be some time for any organization. So that's also part of the calculation. Right. I like to use the analogy of the crawl, walk, run model. 
So as you define within your corporate strategy for your company, for your plat, and then also from the tech strategy on your platform, you need to define a security work lane that for the crawl phase, this is what we're going to do. For the walk stage, this is what we're going to do. And then, of course, for the run. And I think that is actually an investor value because you're baking security in, your viability as a company to fall under is not just with customers, but it's also staying away from attacks, right? Staying away from, from breaches, data breaches. And so it'll become a core competency. I think we're very close. You know, unfortunately, there were fatalities last year based off of security attacks. People died. And that, sadly, it's a morbid topic, but there's going to be more of that. And safety is going to become the new security. It's going to be a safety concern, not a security concern. And that transition is already starting to happen now. And so therefore, as you, the new weapon is data, and as you use data to monetize it, there's absolutely precautions you need to take to protect that data and to use that data. And you know, one other point I want to bring on data is that you know, one thing I like to say is data is the new liability, right? So there was a time where you had to collect as much data as you can, and you didn't really know what you're going to do with it, but you know you needed it, and you're going to analyze it, you're going to do things with it. But today, with privacy laws, with GDPR in Europe and in the United States, multiple types of laws, protection requirements, data, if you don't need it, get rid of it or anonymize it. If you're not using it, phase it off because the more you have actually could hurt you. Like you could get breached on something that you for- was dated, but it's out there. And these bots, not even humans now, these bots are attacking all 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And so that's something else to consider, especially as you're growing your SaaS platforms, the user base, as well as your infrastructure is like, do you really need that data? And that data that you have, will it expire? It should all have an expiration date. And then if you have to have it, then use a way to anonymize it. That way it's not your liability. Great point. I don't know if you have heard something that sounded very interesting to you, or it was a fact that was surprising to you. And you would say this is one of those things in security world that was surprising. You didn't expect that and you read about it. Or it was a fact or a data that you think is very interesting kind of data and fact you can share with us. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think what's striking to me as we enter the new year, we all have our New Year's goals and we're, you know, we're working away on them. We still remember them, by the way. It's, it's actually February. We still remember years ago. Coming into the new year, what I really, what's really struck me is the sophistication of bots. So I, when you think of a bot, you think, ah, it's going to you know, ask me a chart, show me where the fire light is or show me where the stop light is. Bots have really evolved. And the level of sophistication, especially on set for SaaS apps, of these programmatic users that are just trying to find somewhere, a wink and a cranny to get into, to get into your environment, super sophisticated. And that combined with the stat that I'll share with you, the proof point published, 40% of all attacks start with the phishing email. So with phishing associated to a bot that's just generating messages, that's responding to maybe if you click on something. Even humans aren't really as much involved on the dark side, on what I call the black hats, in order to, to penetrate. That really scares us trying to protect our data because now we're going to have a scalability problem against our adversary because there is just so much bot. I mean, it's a cat and mouse game where companies like CrowdStrike and FireEye and many of these heavy research organizations, they're coming up with the attack patterns and how to protect against those bots but the bots are getting more and more sophisticated. I don't know if you know this, but in the dark web, which we all know the dark web, and by the way, did you know the dark web is about 
85 times the size of the internet. So it's not just a little cranny, this little alley somewhere. It's actually everything. And the internet is just a very, very small slither of it. In the dark web, ransomware, there are websites in the dark web that sell ransomware the way we buy a book on Amazon. There's ratings of the ransomware. There's bad guys saying, oh, this was good, or I used it for this, and I used it. If there's a whole marketplace out there for ransomware and other types of attacks that the bad guys are using. It's fascinating. There's many references I could give post-call. But with that said, back to the point about bots and attacks happening, it's not a question of are you being attacked? You're always being attacked. Funny story, one time I was at Comcast and I was running, when I was at Comcast, I ran cybersecurity for product at Comcast. And early on, there was an attack that, there was a, a Telnet-based attack that was attacking or was supposed to be for Telnet, ended up being for SSA. Anyway, they were attacking us and somebody ran into the room saying, we're being attacked. And it's like, we all looked at them like, we're always being attacked. And this was maybe 10 years ago. But today, I mean, the attacks are here. They're happening right now as we're talking. It's about what our defenses are doing. And attacks are typically programmatic. They're bots, they're machines that are attacking. And then once something is found, a sliver into the environment, and then a human jumps in and starts to pivot further. So it's very interesting. It's actually kind of gloomy for us because of all the bad guys are getting organized in the new generation of organized crime in cybersecurity. Fascinating, especially that 85%. I had no idea that 85% can be on the dark side. (laughs) So I would like to ask you to also, if you could please share with us a book or some books, if you like, that you have read and you liked it and it was impactful, maybe the audience can also use it. I'll mention two, right? So two of my favorites that I follow, and I also do their podcasts and listen in on them. One is Tim Ferriss, who's a well-known author, four-hour work week, one of, the, one of his bestsellers. But he also has a book called Tools of the Titans, which takes into account, he interviews top performers, whether it's a race car driver, whether it's a cybersecurity person, whether it's a dancer, whether it's a basketball player. He interviews the greatest performers and he asks them very fundamental questions about how they approach their work, what do they do repeatedly, and what is their morning routine. The morning routine is key. Great person once said, You win the morning, you win the day. And that book, Tools of Titan, takes the interview that he has with that world class performer into three or four pages. So it's a quick 10 minute, you read one thing, you go on to your day. The next day, you pick it up again, you read another something inspirational, on to the next day. So Tim Ferriss is that master who put that book together. I recommend Tools of the Titan. The other one, which is one big on, is Life Force. It's by Tony Robbins. And I'm a big Tony Robbins fan myself, follow his work for over a decade. And the foundation of that is that your energy levels, how you approach life really depends on your energy levels. And your energy level, your energy's right, you're making good decisions. Good decisions take you to a good destiny. Right? So can you make a bad decision once and recover? Of course you can. But if you make bad decisions over and over again, it leads you in a bad direction. So Tony's a guru on this, on how to maximize your energy to improve your decision-making. And I recommend Life Force as one of those. He has many, many books, but that's one of his most recent ones. Thank you very much. Sounds very interesting. I will definitely will go and just take it to read it myself. So thanks for the recommendation. Atif, it was really great to have you on the show and I appreciate you joining us. It was a great discussion. Hope to chat with you again soon. I will follow you also and wish you all the best. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to SaaS Scaled with Arman Ashragi. 
For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sascale.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.